You're listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad, and we're speaking this week with some members of Parliament, the Canadian Parliament, of course, who supported James Maloney's um, motion to have Ireland designated the month of March designated as Irish Heritage Month in Canada. And as we've been hearing, it's not just about 17th of March. It's a deeper relationship that starts way back in the 17th century with the people from the southeast of Ireland heading over fishing in Talavanesh in Newfoundland and uh, working their way right across from uh, east to west. And during the gold mining periods, there would have been out west around Dawson Creek and everywhere else. And there was a great book a few years ago, um, McCarthy's Bar, and there was a second version, The Road to McCarthy. And as far as I recall, he would tour the world looking for towns by the name of McCarthy. That even brought him up into the Yukon. So, uh, and I think there was one somewhere around in the, the relating to the gold rush as well. Well, I have uh, Dick Cannings with me, Richard Cannings, Member of Parliament for the NDP, for South Okanagan and the West Kootenays. And thanks a million, Richard, for coming along and having a chat. Well, thanks for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to be here. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, James Maloney uh, had a motion, uh, put a uh, motion to Parliament on the 10th of March, which was unanimously approved. And you were one of the people who wanted to uh, get your spoke in and speak this, uh, and, and share that it had meaning for you and that you wish to support it. Why did you want to get up and share on this? Well, of course, I don't think anybody would be against this motion. I mean, the, the Irish heritage is such an important part of, of the history of Canada, indeed, probably almost anywhere in the world. But uh, I was happy to do it because, you know, I've been exposed to the Irish heritage here in Canada. I have a little smidgen of Irish heritage in my family, but I can't claim to be one of these people with an Irish name or anything like that. But um, my mother's family had 100 years of history in Ireland back in the 1600s and 1700s before they came over to Nova Scotia. Um, but another branch of her family, the Munns, came from Scotland and went directly to Newfoundland, which is the most Irish part of Canada. And I had the pleasure to live in Newfoundland for three years back in the mid-1970s. I was doing a master's degree at the Memorial University in Newfoundland. And um, that's where I really, you know, was living in the midst of a, a very deep Irish history there in Newfoundland. Like you mentioned, that some of the earliest settlers in Newfoundland were the fishermen who were picked up by boats coming, a lot of them coming from the west countries of uh, England, you know, Dorset, stopping off at Cork and continuing on to Newfoundland. And so there's parts of Newfoundland especially are so Irish. And for one year, I actually lived in a lighthouse with uh, a couple of lightkeepers and their families. And one of the families was from that area. This is a place called Cape St. Mary's. And Cape St. Mary's is on the Cape Shore, which is the most Irish part of Canada. And uh, the other lightkeeper, as an aside, was from across the bay in the Buren Peninsula, which is a very English, uh, old English part. So sometimes I had to uh, translate between them. They spoke different languages, shall we say. So <laughs> it, that was that was a really very interesting time for me. And and I've 
really fell in love with Irish music at the time. The Newfoundland folk music culture was just being revived in the 60s and 70s, and so I listened to a lot of traditional Celtic music. It made me dust off my fiddle when I got back home to British Columbia and and try to pick up some of that. So um, I really enjoy that Irish heritage part of things. And um, as you say, even in the history of British Columbia, where I'm from, through the, the gold rush, as the uh, European settlers came in, uh, the Irish played a very important role. Um, two of the main uh, cattle ranching settlers of, of the Okanagan Valley, which I represent, were from Ireland. Thomas Ellis and uh, Judge Haynes, uh, you know, they became the big landowners back in the 1860s, 70s. I mean, that's the 1860s here is ancient history as far as the settler culture goes, and uh, they were the first to really amass that and, and shape a lot of how the valley was settled from then on. And the Irish were very involved in the construction of the railroad also, uh, linking eastern Canada to western Canada. Yeah, there were the Irish, the Italians, the Chinese, you know, a lot of these groups of people came together to work as, you know, hard labor on, on that railway. Um, and that was a huge part of defining how how Canada was settled, how it how the history played out. So when you got up to speak in the House of Commons and um, express your thoughts on this, um, a question I put to the the other uh, members that I've chatted with was, um, did you get a tingle? Did you get an emotional buzz when you got the opportunity to speak on this one? Well, you know, I, I, it was just such a a pleasure and an honor to to get the opportunity. You know, these these are private members' bills. They you only have two hours of debate, so there's not many speaking spots allotted. So I made sure, um, talking to my party whip, that I wanted to be one of the two that spoke to it uh, for my party. Uh, and yeah, it was just so such a pleasure to do some of the research. I had an idea of what I wanted to say, but of course, when you're speaking in the House of Commons, you, I think you should make sure what you're saying is true. And a lot of it was based on my memories, for instance, of visiting Ireland uh, and living in Newfoundland, both in the mid 1970s. And that's a, a while ago, so I had lots of stories in my head, and I uh, wanted to share some of them just because. You know, it's really part of that heritage that I was experiencing. Can I bring you back to any of those stories of your experience when you were here in Ireland? Well, we were, uh, my brother and I, after we finished our master's degrees and graduated, as many young people do, went to travel, I wouldn't say the world, but we traveled around Europe and the Middle East for about six months and early on in that trip, we went to Ireland to visit some friends of ours, as a Julian Reynolds, who was uh, a professor in biology um, in Dublin, and his wife, Sylvia O'Brien. 
And one of the days I remember was uh, Julian was studying. He's a guy who studies uh, the insects in, in lakes, you know, a limnologist. And so he was studying these special small lakes in the Burren of Outen County Clare in the west, and the Turlocks, they're called. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with Turlock or Carolyn, but oh. anyways, they're these Turlocks, which are lakes that form in the winter and then dry up in the summer. So we, we drove across Ireland. It was just a long day trip, but it was just most enjoyable. And we were also with his mother, um, Julian's mother, because his parents were, and I think his father was a important politician or the ambassador to the United States or something. I forget. I must admit. And but anyways, Julian's mother knew everybody. She knew as we were passing the whole trip who owned that land, who owned that land, and was telling stories of this incredibly rich history. Um, it was a time when there was still a lot of you know poverty and rural, especially rural poverty in Ireland. So it was quite jarring or interesting to see well you know for instance kids without socks begging in Dublin in the middle of December girls carrying you know stacks of hay on their backs down the lanes in central Ireland you know donkeys pulling carts it was just very you know to to me seemed very historic uh, from a time past and I know Ireland has changed radically since then but it was for me it was you know it was like seeing the Ireland that I'd heard of and read of in books and uh, but it was just this long madcap drive and I remember you know the Burren this limestone landscape was so different from what I you know, we passed through the green fields before then, but this very stark landscape. And I remember these, you know, high circular towers from 7th century monasteries or something you have expected, mm-hmm. Rapunzel to lean out of the top and things like it. It was, it was remarkable, a wonderful day. And, of course, in the evenings while we were there, we went out to a different pub every night and listened to bands playing and singing along. It was something I'd really grown to love when I lived in St. John's in Newfoundland. So it was a a wonderful trip. So over the years, and particularly since you've gone into public life, you would have had some interaction with, say, Irish politicians uh, on some of the delegations that have come over to Canada. Uh, And as you mentioned, you have seen that the Ireland of today is very different from the Ireland that was there back in the 70s. Um, the relationship between Canada and Ireland has evolved and grown to the point that there is the CETA is now has been ratified. Um, it must be fascinating as well to see in that period of time, uh, what we're looking at is 45 odd years or thereabouts, the evolution of a country in, and the change in people's, uh, the, uh, the, how everything, uh, technology, politics, um, the whole world has changed and how a small country like Ireland has fared in that. So uh, are there lessons, would you say, that you have been able to garner that you are then able to bring back to public life? Well, like you say, I think the main lesson is how rapid that change can be and how dramatic. And like I say, my experience in the 70s in Ireland compared to what Ireland's like now you know, the, that technology shift in the world's, 
economies, you know, technology, data, information is sort of at the center of, of what the world economy is at these days. And Ireland was one of the leaders in embracing that and becoming a, a real center for that in the world. And, you know, I can't say that I've talked to a lot of Irish politicians. I've met the Irish ambassador. Um, the, the jaunts that I've been to at other parts of the world haven't included Ireland. But I just, you know, like everyone knows what how Ireland has changed and um, know that you can make that shift from, uh, you know, a, a relatively poor uh, agrarian society to really a leader in, in modern tech, technology. Uh, and I think that's something, and, you know, where we're facing now in the world where we have to, we realize we have to make some dramatic changes in how we live, you know, in terms of the climate crisis and that sort of thing. I think you can look to Ireland as an example of look what they did in a matter of, you know, a couple of decades, really, and what the world has to do. So I think that's the main lesson I would take away there. The relationship, well, we mentioned it goes back to the 17th century, but it's very current as well because over the last 15 to 20 years, Canada opened its doors and welcomed um, young Irish, uh, and particularly when the, the financial crash happened in Ireland. And I know many of those have made their home in and around Vancouver and even up in your riding area and around there. Um, it, it, it has certainly been a relationship that because of the debt uh, has, I think, continues to be strengthened as a result of the interaction that, that is there in today's world. Yes, and I think, um, as you can imagine, I think Irish immigrants will always be welcome in Canada. There were times, of course, you know, a century ago where Irish immigrants, you know, caused some friction coming to like a lot of immigrant waves did throughout the world. Um, my ancestors in Newfoundland were, as I say, Protestants from from England and uh, Scotland, and they were off, often found themselves on one side or the other of these clashes. And we had our own bits of sectarian violence uh, in in Canada in, back in the day. But those those times are long gone now, and. Uh, any Irish immigration to Canada, uh, and I hope the other way around. I know friends of mine have immigrated to from Canada to Ireland, so mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. And so I, I'm, the friendship between the countries is is real, and I, I think that will only continue and grow. You mentioned that when you were in Newfoundland and you heard some of their down in the particularly when you were living in the lighthouse. And I'm sure there are lots of stories that re revolve around that. But um, you mentioned that it was encouraged you to, to take up the fiddle again. Did you continue to practice and have you got to the point where you're comfortable pulling, taking an O'Carolan tune or some other tune and playing it? Well, I, I'm not going to play for you right now, <laughs> but, but no, I, I have played uh, quite a bit, um, not professionally or anything, but with friends. Uh, I played in a in two or three kind of pickup bands where we play a lot of Celtic music, uh, folk music, and so yeah, I know a lot of those 
tunes. I'm a very mediocre fiddle player. Um, I I do best when there's a better fiddle player I can stand behind. <laughs> but uh, um, but and and O'Carolan, you know, it's his pieces tend to be, or at least the pieces I know of O'Carolan tend to be. They're not the real jet speed reels. You know, they're more. Uh, the Plangsties and things like that that are much more tuneful and played slowly, and I can manage to get through those <laughs> fairly well. So that, that if and when you get here, if you bring your fiddle case with you, you'd be right. able to go in and sit down at a session and just join in with some of them anyway. Well, with some of them, yeah, with yeah. A, a few of those tunes. Uh, but mainly I'd like to just sit back and, and listen because... I would be outshone by a uh, hundredfold. <laughs> it's to be able to participate. It's not. Right. It's not looking for the the, the limelight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed, um, we're going to wrap up, and we are going to hear a piece by O'Carolan. What were mm-hmm. maybe the concerto? I, yeah, I think his concerto is is just wonderful. And I remember when my children were growing up, we forced them to take violin lessons. You know, as many parents do, foist on their children. And uh, I was trying to get my kids to play some some Celtic music, Scottish and Irish. And uh, I remember my my son playing O'Carolan's concerto at a recital once. So uh, it's a tune I heard a lot back in those days as he practiced and practiced and practiced. So it is a beautiful, you know, and a wonderfully complex tune that people, I think, would be surprised when they hear of Irish music that this, to me, is one of the, the pinnacles of Irish music. Have your boys uh, retained their interest in music? Um, I th- they retain their interest in music, but uh, um, I don't think they they have their violins with them at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Richard Cannings, thanks a million for taking the time. It's been a real honour and a pleasure chatting with you. And thank you very much also for supporting James Maloney's motion when it was on the floor of the House. Well, thank you, Austin, for the, the invitation to speak. It's always a pleasure to talk about Ireland and Irish heritage.